everyone. My name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We are in part number two of our new series called The Battle. And in this series, we are talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, uh, being a father has been very enlightening to me. <laughs> I get to see my son Asher growing and learning new things. Uh, you know, one of the first ways he learned to move around was he learned how to scoot on the floor by moving around um, basically onto his back. He would roll onto his back and then push with his feet and he just scooted all over the place on his back. And it was uh, it was a little concerning actually for, for my wife, Chelsea and I, you know, we, um, we were concerned because of the the potential rug burns. You know, he would start getting really red on the back of his neck and his shoulders, the back of his head. Uh, we thought, man, this kid's gonna have rug burns all up and down his back. And so we were constantly trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, how to how to put something, uh, making sure he always had a shirt on, making sure that you know we had ones that that had. Uh, you know, hoodies or whatever else we could put to where he wasn't dragging on the carpet. But eventually, you know, he uh, he abandoned that when he learned how to crawl. And then he began crawling um, for a little while, but not not that long, because soon after that, he learned how to walk and he abandoned crawling for walking. And, uh, you know, he, he learns how to do something new, but he has no problem moving on from it when it's time to do so, uh, because, you know, holding on to the old way of doing things would hold him back. You know, now he's running at full speed. He's barely watching where he's going. Uh, just imagine how his life would be right now if he still insisted on scooting around on the floor as his primary method of travel. Or if instead of using words, he still insisted on baby talk. Uh, imagine if instead of using a toilet that you insisted on still wearing diapers. Imagine if instead of driving a car, each of us insisted on crawling on all fours everywhere we went. In order to move forward, sometimes we have to let go of the old way of doing things and the old mindsets that we believed were the best ways of doing things at the time. We are called to fight a spiritual war, but we're never going to be able to do that effectively if we try to do so while still living in the past and thinking like the old person that God has changed us from. In our last episode, we started off a series on spiritual warfare by looking at how God waged war on the spiritual strongholds of Egypt. In this episode, we're going to look at what happened when the people of God were led out of Egypt and into the promised land. And we're going to see just how important it is to let go of old mindsets so that we can be ready for the spiritual battle that we are called to fight. When God delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, he had a plan for them to go into the land of Canaan and seize it. 
The problem, though, is that not all of the people uh, were on board. In fact, if you understand the, the people at all, you'll know that all of them had been born in Egypt. They were Hebrew by blood, but they were Egyptian by birth. <clears throat> they were Egyptian in heart. They were Egyptian in thinking. They had been born into the culture of the Egyptians. They had heard about the false gods. And while they had been told about the one true God, it's clear throughout Scripture, and we're going to read several of these instances, it was very clear that they still thought of themselves as Egyptians, that Egypt was their home. It's all they had ever known. It's what they had been born into. See, right after the people of God left Egypt, right, and this is what we we left with in the last episode, they, they had left Egypt. Well, right after that, Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent his army to collect them. The, the nation of Israel then is standing in front of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. And here's what they said in Exodus 14, 11 to 12. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, in other words, this is what they said in Egypt to him. He said, they said, is it not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So according to them, they told Moses back in Egypt to leave them alone and to let them serve the Egyptians. Well, what happens next is, uh, is, is nothing short of an incredible miracle. God parts the sea. The people walk through on dry land. And then God killed the entire pursuing army by just collapsing the sea back on top of them. That should have sealed it, right? I mean, if they were, if they were not sure that they were God's people before that, surely now that must have sealed it, right? Well, not exactly. See, two chapters later, after God had performed another miracle and given them water to drink, the people get hungry. And here's what they say. The sons of Israel in Exodus 16, 3, the sons of Israel said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we are full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. As they're complaining about being hungry, they're fondly remembering how much they had to eat in Egypt. We had pots of meat. We sat by pots of meat. We ate bread until we were full. This is amazing. It's, it's amazing. They are just out of Egypt, right? I mean, God has done miracle after miracle after miracle, right? Ten plagues. Uh, he has parted the Red Sea. He had already led them um, to this, this place. He had, he had already protected them with a, a pillar of fire and, and he now has provided miraculous water from them for them in the wilderness. He's, he's taken bitter water and made it sweet. He's done all of these miracles for them and they're still complaining and longing for Egypt, right? Back in Egypt, we sat by pots of meat. We ate bread until we were full. Well, here's what's interesting. At this point, now God says, water's not enough. I'm going to go ahead and provide bread for you as well. And what he does is he provides bread from heaven, right? Something called manna. It's amazing. He not only provides water for them miraculously, God gives them bread from heaven. Now, if anything should seal it, that should have been enough, right? 
Well, no. A, a little while later, and we're we're going to jump ahead quite a ways, and then we'll we'll come back. We'll kind of go back again, but. Let's take a look at what the people, because again, we're still trying to build some foundation just to show where the mindset was of these people who were born in Egypt, who I, I believe saw themselves as Egyptian, saw themselves as, as those who, who not only were from Egypt, but belonged in Egypt, who longed for Egypt, even though they had been crying out to God to deliver them from Egypt. Now they are away from it. They get their prayer answered and all they're doing is thinking back. So God has now given them bread from heaven. And then in Numbers 11, 4 to 6, here's what it says. Now the rabble who were among them, I love that, by the way. Now the rabble who were among them had greedy cravings. The sons of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat for free in Egypt the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone and there's nothing at all to look at except this manna. They were eating bread directly from heaven, but that wasn't good enough. Rather than just ask God for meat, they once again opined about Egypt. And so what God does, his response, by the way, is... is hilarious. I, I love, I love his responses. It's so much, so much like a, a parent who is sick of their child's complaining. Um, you know, this is, this is God again. Remember he, he has provided for them meat or sorry. He has provided for them bread from heaven, right? From heaven. Yeah. You ever, any, any, any parents listening to this? Have you ever set up a, a meal, work real hard on a meal? You give it to your kids and they just look at it. Just unappreciative. This is, must be what God's thinking, right? What he actually says is this. He said, okay, you know what? They want meat. I'm going to give them so much meat for a month. It's going to be coming out their noses, right? This is almost, almost word for word. I will give them so much meat. It's coming out their noses. I'm going to give them so much meat. They're going to be sick of it. So for 30 days, he just sent quail, right? It, so they provided quail along with the man. I mean, they, now they've got plenty of meat, right? To the point that they're sick of it. Now, before, before all of this, before the quail incident, um, God led them to Mount Sinai and he called Moses to the top of the mountain. Now I, I, I went to the meat thing because I, I just wanted to give you guys some, um, some context here. I wanted to, to build a little bit of a foundation. So we understand exactly the type of, uh, uh, the type of mindset that the Hebrews had. It's very important to understand that because it's going to lead up to, and it's going to set up um, exactly what it is that we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, God takes them to Mount Sinai. Now it takes about two months to get there after after leaving Egypt, about two months to get to Mount Sinai. Then he uh, calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. So on top of the mountain, what they're seeing is the there is this this cloud, right? The glory of God manifests on top of the mountain as a cloud. So what they're seeing is they're seeing the glory of God on the mountain. They're seeing this big cloud on the mountain. They can see this even from the bottom of the mountain. Uh, Moses is called to the top of the mountain. And during this time, God will give him all the foundations that they need to help start a new nation. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know that to start a nation requires some, some setup, right? It requires some things. You, you need laws, right? You need organizations. You need foundations. Uh, who Who's in charge, right? What are the rules? 
Um, how do we determine who's in charge? How do we determine how to enforce the rules? Uh, all of those types of things, right? How do we determine who gets what land and who, you know, what, all of this kind of thing, right? There, there is, there's a lot that goes into starting a nation. You have to build a foundation. And so God is going to give them uh, all of those foundations. Now, this is, this is found throughout the, the first, uh, the first few books of the Bible, right? Particularly, um, in, in Leviticus, right? Leviticus is not what I would consider the most uh, interesting reading, <laughs> um, but that it's what it is. It's, it's, it's a, it's a law book, right? I mean, have you ever, you ever gone to the library, picked up a law book and, uh, and then thought, well, this is really interesting reading. Probably not. Right. Because it's a book of law. Well, that's, that's what this is. And so what God does is he gives them the foundations of the nation. What was going to, uh, what was going to start their nation. And while Moses is up there, he's up there for 40 days toward the end of that time. So now we are um, just over three months after they have left Egypt, right? So God did 10 plagues in Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. He um, has them go through on dry land. He, he actually leads them to the Red Sea, even, even miraculously. Um, when they get to the other side, he miraculously changes bitter water into sweet water. He gives them water in the wilderness. He uh, provides manna, right? So this is um, bread from heaven, right? There's all of this going on. And uh, so so all of this has happened in a, in a very short time. Now, here, here's what happens right after that, okay? So in Exodus 32, 1 to 5, Verses 1 to 5, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. Remember, he had been up there for 40 days. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. We don't know what happened to him. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. What is this? Where did they get those rings? Where did they get gold? They were slaves, right? Well, the Bible actually tells us that when they left Egypt, they plundered it. They took these rings from the Egyptians when they left. And I'm sure the Egyptians were very happy to give them up in order to get the Israelites out of there, uh, to get to get rid of the source of these plagues. So God had blessed them tremendously on the way out. And now they were taking the blessing that God gave them and they were about to make it into a God. Uh, now, I don't want to go too too far into a, into a rabbit trail here, but this is not the only time they did this in the wilderness. There was another incident where um, there were serpents that were biting the people and, and people were dying because of the poison of these snakes. And so God had Moses create or, or uh, craft a bronze serpent um, on a pole, lift it up so that it could be seen from a distance. And then anybody who looked on that bronze serpent would be healed. Um, well, we find out later in scripture, I believe it's in second Kings that the people had given it a name. They begin calling it Nehushtan and they were offering sacrifices to it. They were, they were praying to it. They had made this, this gift from God into a God and, and God had to have it destroyed because it had become an idol. Um, now that was, uh, that was quite a bit later than this, but that, that gift was given to this same group of people. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not uncommon for people to receive a blessing from God. And then rather than becoming grateful to God and worshiping God all the more for it, we worship the gift that God gave us. It's, this happens often. It, it happens um, with things like the Sabbath, right? Which was actually given as a, as a gift 
to humans. It was given as a gift to us um, so that we would we would be able to rest, and yet people have taken it and turned it into an idol. Um, we, we see this with multiple different types of gifts, right? Our, our, our buildings, our church buildings, that uh, people, people put so much more um, emphasis on than, uh, than should, right? Even though God has, has blessed us with buildings and chairs and pews and, you know, whatever else that he, he has given us. And, and we take those things and we make idols out of them. Uh, and, and that's what we see here. The people take the gold rings from their ears. They bring them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. And then when the people saw it, they exclaimed this. They said, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, Aaron sees how excited the people were, and he does this. He builds an altar in front of the calf and then announced tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord, capital L. There's a couple of questions that I had when I was reading this passage. Um, and there's a lot of questions really that you could have. Um, but aside from the most obvious questions, right? Like what in the world were they thinking? Uh, aside from the most obvious questions of how could they possibly have forgotten what God has already done, done for them in, in such a short time ago, right? It's, it's been three months. Um, they've been eating. They literally had breakfast that morning. That was manna, right? (laughs) That morning they had that, that afternoon for lunch, that, that evening for dinner, they had been eating a miracle. Um, how could they forget? So aside from the most obvious questions like that, there were a couple of questions of things in this particular passage of Exodus 32 verses one to five that stood out to me. Uh, first of all, why a cow? I mean, of all the things you could make a statue of, why a cow? Um, there are there are many 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 civilizations out there, and they have uh, false gods. They have deities, uh, and, and they're, they're they run the gamut of what they look like. So why in the world would you pick a cow? Uh, and second, why is it that the people when they saw the calf, did they use the plural form gods? Right? Oh Israel, these are the gods. Now, depending on your translation, you may be looking at your translation and say, well, but mine doesn't say gods. Mine says God singular. Uh, and that's, and that, that might be true. Some translations do translate it that way. Uh, but make no mistake in the original language, it is a plural form that is used here. And it's weird. It, it's very weird because there's only one cow. There's only one calf, but they use the plural form of gods. We're going to spend a few moments here because this is really the first major application I want us to explore in this episode. So here's the first question. Why a cow? Well, the people of, uh, of God, the, the children of God, the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, or what would become the nation of Israel, they had come out of Egypt, but Egypt had not come out of them. See, the land of Goshen is where they lived while they were in Egypt, right? The land of Goshen was in lower Egypt. It was on the east side of the the, uh, Nile Delta, and it was in lower Egypt. One of the gods of the Egyptians that was heavily worshipped at that time was a god by the name of Apis. Now, that might sound familiar if you you remember in our last episode when we talked about the plagues and we got to the, the death of the livestock, because Apis was a, uh, was a god that was worshipped by the Egyptians. Um, early on, Apis was considered the herald of Ptah, and Ptah was the chief deity 
um, in the area around Memphis. Now, where is Memphis? Well, Memphis was the capital of Lower Egypt. Now, did you catch that? Apis was the herald of the chief deity in the area around the place the Jews had been living in Egypt. The herald, right? In other words, Apis was the intermediary between humans and God. Pastor, what's your point? My point is that this calf, this golden calf, it was not meant to replace Yahweh. It was meant to replace Moses. They they basically said as much, right? I mean, make us some gods who we, we the, the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down. They said, we don't know what happened to Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So make us some gods who can lead us. And they didn't say which God. Aaron already knew. How could he possibly know which one to make? With the, Well, because they had all come from the same place in Egypt. They understood. They understood that there was a particular God um, that, that represented what Moses was, the, the herald of Ptah. And so he creates this statue. Now, I believe it was Apis. Um, Apis was a bull. And you can actually uh, you can actually look it up. I, I, would, I would show you a picture, but this is an audio podcast, so you'll have to do it yourself. You go on Google and type in uh, Apis, A-P-I-S. Um, Apis Egypt and you'll you'll see it Apis statue you'll find them uh, it's a bull it's just it's just a bull and that's I, I what I believe that's what he made is he made the Apis bull so here comes the second question why in the world did did they say these are the gods why use the plural when clearly there's only one statue right there's only one statue there's only one god uh, there is one idol. Why would you say God's plural? Well, when the people are looking at this statue, here's here's what here's the way I picture this in my head, um, and I, I think I think it I think it yields itself. Um, I, I think it I think it yields itself to to a lot of credibility here, based on the context of the passage we read. Remember, there is a big mountain, right, Mount Sinai. And on top of that mountain is the glory of God. It's, it looks like a cloud, but it's the glory of God. Now, the people see this idol, this calf, right, directly in front of them. And then behind and above it is a cloud that is the glory of Yahweh. And I believe that they were looking at both of them. They were looking at Apis. And then they were seeing the cloud of the glory of God on Mount Sinai. And what they said is, these are the gods. In other words, Yahweh had just been reduced from being the God to being just another God in a pantheon. Now, what's my basis for this? Well, immediately after saying this, Aaron then builds an altar in front of the calf and announced it would be a festival for the Lord, capital L. Why is that important that it's a capital L? Well, because it indicates that in the Hebrew language, right, in the original language here, what he said was tomorrow will be a festival to Yahweh, right, or Yehovah, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But it's the proper name for God, Yahweh or Yehovah. Either, either way, this is, this is, why is that important? Well, because we see very clearly that Aaron is tying this worship of Apis 
this worship of the golden calf, he is tying it directly to worship of Yahweh. Now Yahweh is sharing credit with Apis for delivering the people out of Egypt. Now I want you to notice something important here. The, the Hebrews couldn't go back to Egypt, and so they made their own Egypt right here, right at the base of Mount Sinai, right, right within view of the glory of God. They make their own Egypt. They took the pagan worship of false gods and they tried to blend it with worship of the one true God. And the result was an abomination that caused God to send a plague into their midst. Now, we, we already know it's an abomination. We already know this is what they did uh, just by reading the story. But how often do we do the same things in our own lives? And God frees us from something. We celebrate the freedom and then we look back only to remember the highlight reel. But it's it's not real. It's just a highlight reel. I mean, the Jews remembered having good food in Egypt, but they seem to have forgotten that their backs were laid open with whips. They forgot how their children were thrown into the Nile River by a king who thought there were too many of them. But we do that too, right? We, we, we have been conditioned to just look at the highlight reel and, and believe that it's true. I mean, think about any time in, on social media. If you go to someone's Facebook page, if you go to their Instagram page, if you go to their Twitter page, if you, if you pull up a, a social media profile, what you're seeing is a highlight reel, right? You, you, might, see that, <clears throat> you might see that picture of the, the family that looks like they just love each other and they're all smiling and they're perfectly, oh, everybody's hair is perfect and you know, it, it, they just look so just awesome and, and they just, they're all posing and, and you look at that and think, boy, what a happy family and you don't know just how many takes, how many pictures it took. How many times those little kids were yelled and screamed at by their parents to get back and sit down and, you know, who knows how many threats were ushered, right? You don't see all that. You just see the the picture or you see pictures of someone's vacation, but you know what you don't see? The debt. You see the graduation cap and you think, man, they've got all this accomplishment that I don't have and no, their life is really together and what you don't see is the debt. You see people out partying with their friends and they look like they're having a great time, but what you don't see is the hangover. You don't see the, you don't see the drunk driving accident. You don't see the tickets. You, you don't see the destroyed lives. And we look back at our lives oftentimes and that's how we remember them, right? God frees you from an old lifestyle that was keeping you in bondage, but all you remember is the highlight reel. Well, I remember that I used to, boy, when I think back at my own life, I'll, I'll, I just remember how much fun I had with my friends and boy, I, I missed that. And it was so great. And, and then we forget about the fact that God delivered us from that life. We asked him to, we, we celebrated when God delivered us. We were so excited that God brought us out of that life. And then we forget why we were so excited that God brought us out of that life. And all we remember is the highlight reel. I mean, the, the Jews were talking about how much food there was in Egypt and how great the food was, right? We had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We had pots of meat. We had bread until we were full. They make it sound like Egypt was just an all-you-can-eat buffet. And they forget about the fact that they were slaves. They were slaves who, their very children were executed because the king thought there were too many Jews. 
but what happens is that we we get this new life. God gives us a new life. He saves us. He delivers us. He sets us free. And then we continue to reach back into the past and try to take that old life and bring it into the new life and mix the two together, trying to bring the thing that God freed you from into the mix as well. This is this is what the Hebrews were doing. They were trying to blend worship of God with worship of idols. They were trying to mix in sin with their new life in Christ or in, 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 uh, as, as children of God. It'd be like saying, I love God, but I'm also going to continue to have sex outside of marriage. I love God, but I'm also going to continue these relationships that are pulling me away from him. I love God, but I'm also going to be a workaholic that never comes to church. I love God, but I'm also going to continue to love gossiping about other people. I, I love God, but I'm also going to be obsessed with how I look. I love God, but I'm also going to worship attention from others. I love God, but I'm also going to view pornography. I love God, but I'm also going to worship money and be selfish with it. I love God, but I'm going to fill my mind with thoughts that are contrary to his word. You see, when you try to blend the worship of God with worship of something else, it can only lead to bad things. Eventually, you are going to have to choose. You cannot, you cannot continue to choose both. Eventually, you will be in a place where you have to choose one or the other. And many people in Israel died because of their choice to try blending the two. Many Christians fall away from faith. They experience horrible problems or they live in self-made bondages because they are trying to bring their old life into their new life that God has given them. And those two things just are not compatible. Eventually, you have to choose. And that's not a possibility. That's a certainty. Jesus talked about this. Mark 2, 21 to 22, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth into an old garment. Why? Because the old garment has already shrunk. An unshrunk cloth or new cloth has not yet shrunk. If you do that, what he says is this. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it and the new from the old and the worse, uh, a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Now, let's fast forward a bit. The people get to the edge of the promised land. God brings them all the way to the place that now they can see it. They, they're right there. They're right on the border of it. And God tells Moses to send a leader from each tribe, right? 12 in total, one from each tribe to go in and spy out the land. In other words, what God says is this. He says, okay, you're here. I want you now to send a representative from every tribe so that they can go back and report to their tribes that everything I told you about this land was true. I want them to come back and tell the people that I was telling the truth, that I am good, that I was, I was leading you to this place. I want them to come back and give a good report to the people. And sure enough, they went in, they checked out the land and they brought a report back to the people. Let's take a look at it now. Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 to 33. When they reported, they said, 
We came into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They should have stopped right there, but they did not. They continued, Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large, and indeed we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the hill country. The Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will certainly prevail over it. This is a man who remembers what God had just done to Egypt. But the men who had gone with him said, We are not able to go against the people because they're too strong for us. And so they brought a bad report of the land which they had spied out to the sons of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw are of great stature. right? In other words, they're giants. We also saw the Nephilim there. I'm not going to get into that, but uh, the Nephilim, let's just say for now, they were very large people. And it says the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. That's the report that the spies bring back to the people. Here's the response of the people. Immediately following it says in Numbers 14, verses 1 to 4, Then all the congregation raised their voices and cried out. And the people wept that night. The sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the entire congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Or, if we had died in this wilderness. Now, that's going to come back to haunt them in a minute. If even, or, even if we had died in this wilderness. So why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. I can tell you as a pastor that I have witnessed this mindset play out. I've seen it before. I will see it again. Because it's within our human nature. To quickly forget what God has done for us. And to return to where he brought us out of. God had already promised the people victory. All they had to do was take it. God called them to fight a battle in Canaan so they could obtain it, but they weren't ready for Canaan. You know, I I have seen this play out as a pastor where people have been delivered from something. God has done a miracle in their life. He has, he has given them victory after victory after victory. He, he's delivered them from addiction. He has healed their bodies. He's healed their marriage. He's healed their family. Uh, God has, has done things that, that there's no other explanation other than God was just at work. All of that happens. God does all of that. But then the time comes where they have to do something that requires some faith. They have to take action. They have to now do something. And rather than continue, rather than continue to trust God, rather than move forward, 
into the unknown and trust that the God who delivered them will continue to deliver them. Rather than do that, what they do is they give up hope. They get scared. They, they experience maybe some opposition. But then they turn around and they go right back to the life God brought them out of. And as a pastor, that's heartbreaking. And if that's heartbreaking for me, I can only imagine how heartbreaking it must be for God. Who had just done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, who had brought them out of slavery, who had brought them through the Red Sea, who had provided food for them in the wilderness and water for them in the wilderness, who had miraculously done so many things. And then they get to the land of Canaan and the people have no faith that God can give them the promised land. It's amazing because yes, I'm sure these, these people were big. There were, there were probably some giants in that land. They probably were, but they were not more powerful than the Egyptian army. I mean, Egypt, Egypt was a superpower and God wiped them out in 10 days. Well, I shouldn't say 10 days, but in 10 plagues, we don't exactly know how long that, that whole time took, but within 10 plagues, God had wiped them out. God had, God had, had, had struck down that nation. Why in the world would, would you look at what God did in Egypt and then suddenly say that God is not enough to give you Canaan? But this exposed the problem. That God had called them to fight a battle in Canaan to obtain it, but they were not ready for Canaan. In fact, if they had gone into Canaan, they would have turned it into Egypt. God had given them chance after chance after chance after chance. He had been patient with them, but he knew this. New battles cannot be won with old mindsets. I'm, I'm going to say that again because I feel like it's I feel like it's something that, that that is very important to understand and to remember. New battles cannot be won with old mindsets. Numbers 14, 26 to 33. Here's God's response to the people. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron again, saying, How long shall I put up with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I've heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, for they are voicing against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing. So I will do to you. Remember, what, what, is it, what is he talking about? Just as you have spoken in my hearing. Okay, here, here's what he's talking about. Remember what they said. If only we had died in the land of Egypt or even if we had died in this wilderness. So God said, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do. Your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. It's what they asked for. It's what they wanted. They specifically asked for that. And God said, okay, I'm going to give it to you. He says, all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who had grumbled against me, by no means will you come into the land where I swore 
to settle you, except for Joshua, or sorry, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Those are the two spies that came back with a good report. Everyone else, everyone else who had given up hope on God, he said, you will not enter. Your children, however, whom you said will become plunder, I will bring them in and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. Also, your sons will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your bodies perish in the wilderness. And then what happened was this. God spent the next 40 years waiting for that old mindset to die before he could bring them into the promised land. 40 years to prepare them to fight battles that he would give them victory in. Look, God has called you to fight a spiritual battle to take your promised land. Whatever that promised land is, whatever that thing is that God has called you to, that he has prepared for you, God has called you to fight a battle to take it. He's freed you from bondage. He's promised you victory if you will only trust him and fight. The battle is waiting for you to fight it so that God can give you the victory. But new battles cannot be won with old mindsets. New victories will not come from old habits. New blessings will not come from old lifestyles. And so the people spent the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. God will let you spend your life making no progress fighting the same old battles, going through the same old struggles, dealing with the same old routines. God will let you wander around your wilderness as long as it takes for that old mindset to die. And maybe that's at where you're at right now. You've been going around and around and around. You have made no progress in your life. You're fighting the same old battles. You're facing the same old struggles. You feel like your life is moving on, but you are not moving forward. I give you today the same choice that the spies gave the nation of Israel, Canaan or Egypt, old life or new, in or out, forward or back. After Moses died in the wilderness, Joshua took over. And just before Joshua died, he presented the people who were the children of those who had died in the wilderness with a similar choice. Joshua 24, verses 14 to 18, he said this, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Do away with the gods which your fathers served beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we would abandon the Lord to serve other gods. By the way, this is the response that their parents should have given. They said, Far be it from us that we would abandon the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Remember, they were they were children. When that happened, they were watching. They were kids from the land of slaves. He did all of these great signs in our sight and watched over us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples 
through whose midst we passed, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, we're going to explore this next week as we begin getting into actual spiritual battle. We talked in, in, in our, our last uh, episode about how God did battle. In this episode, we were talking about making sure that we have the right mindset to go into battle. And then in, in our, our next episode, we're going to explore what it means to actually do spiritual warfare. Um, but I want you to notice for a moment that in this passage in Joshua, the people are now speaking from a place of victory over the battles that their parents were too afraid to fight. I want to ask you a tough question. Will your children have to fight battles that you were too afraid to fight, but should have? Will you let go of Egypt? Will you let go of the old life God has delivered you from? Will you stop trying to combine your old life and your new life? Will you decide today that God is enough? That you don't need another God. You don't need a golden calf. You don't need to bring in your old life and try to mix it with the new and dilute what God has done in your life. You have a choice to make. But you cannot and will not go into your promised land if you're still clinging on to your past because it has no place in your future. It's time to let it go and trust that God is going to bless you in the new. That God is going to give you victory over the new battles. And maybe right now what you're looking at is a spiritual battle. Maybe you are fighting something or maybe you feel like this battle is coming and you're afraid. You're being asked to do something that is scared. Maybe you're dealing with opposition. Maybe you are having problems. Maybe you are going through hardships and trials. Maybe right now what it is you're going through is difficult and it feels like war. God will give you victory, but you have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to trust God to deal with problems that are beyond you. And you have to be willing to let go of what it is that God has already brought you out of. You're not an Egyptian anymore. You are not that person anymore. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.